There is a new wave of change all around us. And if we set our compass true, we will reach our destination. Not merely victory for our party, but renewal for our nation. Thanks for tuning in to Achieve Great Things. This is episode 13. This is your host, RJB of Hadaway Communications. This week we'll be talking to Lene Erickson Hatalski um, from Third Way. Uh, we have a really interesting and fun conversation about politics and uh, where where we're heading as a, as a country and as progressives. And also um, we talk a lot about the importance of listening and the importance of really getting outside of our normal areas of comfort to, to really hear what people think and explore, you know, possibilities. As a follow-up to this episode, next week um, on May 31st from 3 to 4 p.m., we're going to do a Twitter chat with Third Way, um, with Lene and, and a couple others, including Jamal Simmons of the Rabin Group, who um, we just reached out to, and he, he's going to join. But he also, we want to let you know, he just launched a podcast, or the Rabin Group did, called The Beat DC um, about about politics and policy in D.C., particularly as um, as they look at intersections of culture, race, ethnicity, and policy. So you should check out The Beat DC. Um, it's at thebeatdc.com slash podcast. So Jamal will join us, and, and we'll have a few other people next week um, on this Twitter chat. So if you can make it, uh, mark your calendars for May 31st from 3 to 4 p.m. And we'll follow up on some of the conversations we have here. So after you listen to this, if you have some questions, hold on to those and, and join the Twitter chat. And, and let's keep the conversation going. Thank you, as always, for, for tuning in and for your support and ideas and feedback. Um, always great and important to hear that. Um, if you haven't yet, please review us on iTunes. It just takes a minute. It's very helpful for helping other people to discover the podcast. So we appreciate that. And um, thanks for tuning in and um, really hope you enjoyed this conversation and hope you can join us next week for the Twitter chat. And um, we'll see you again next week with a new episode. Thanks. So I'm here with uh, Lene erickson Hatalski, who's the VP for Social Policy and Politics at Third Way. Um, and we're joined by a couple of colleagues who are here. So we have, a, we have an audience. Um, Lene, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, you have... Obviously, you've been working with Third Way um, for a long time. You have a lot of interesting experience on different issues, like, um, as your bio says, LGBT stuff, immigration, abortion, religious liberty, and guns, which so there's a lot of directions we can go in. Um, But I guess first, just from like a communications perspective, where we always like to start is um, thinking about the last year, which the last year is probably like the biggest year in terms of communications for impact, as we would put it, um, that we've ever had. So we'd like to ask people like what, what you've learned personally about communications and, um, and what you've been thinking about uh, over the past year. There's been a lot to think about, obviously, <laughs> uh, both in politics and in the larger world over the past year. I think there were two big things that have stuck out to me as light bulb moments about mm-hmm. communications and how it works. Uh, over the past few months. Um, One was reading a piece that Jason Kander wrote on uh, Huffington Post about um, the election. And he talked about the way that the parties communicate as 
a, um, a proxy for talking to a jury in a closing argument. And one of the things he said was the Republicans talk to the entire jury. They say, here's where I'm going to take the country. This is my case. Um, take it or leave it. And the Democrats, at least lately, have been talking to individual jurors. Mm -hmm. They've said, juror number one, you are this kind of person. That means you obviously care about this kind of thing. I will talk just about that to you. Juror number two, I have a different thing for you. Juror number three, I don't have anything for you. You're not my people. Go take a coffee break. <laughs> juror number four. And the thing it made me think about was this segmentation that we talk about so often. It, it might actually be harder to segment in our targeting of messages now than it ever has been rather mm -hmm. than easier because you have so much less control over where your message goes and that means that a message that might have been intended and tailored for one audience might end up in a very very different place so juror number three is hearing messages for jurors number one two and four mm -hmm. and also hearing the i don't have a message for you message mm -hmm. very very clearly um, and that makes it really hard for juror number three not to be pretty resentful mm -hmm. of the whole entire exercise. Um, so that that's kind of one thing that I'm struggling with. How do you tailor a message um, and make sure it hits the right people and doesn't, by tailoring it, then turn off everyone else? Um, the, the other is just the sheer amount of um, difference in how people react to seeing the exact same thing. And I think a lot of times we talk about having echo chambers. People are getting their information from different sources. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times they're getting their information from the same source, but the message received is something totally different. And we just did some interesting research about um, people's discussion on social media of the Pulse nightclub shooting. Mm -hmm. And you could see this huge divergence in the language people used about that shooting. And folks on the right and folks who had voted for Trump talked about it as an attack, a terrorist attack. Mm -hmm. They used the word attack over and over and over again. Folks on the left and people who had voted for Clinton talked about it as a hate crime. It was the same incident. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's all coming from them having different sources of information. I think that's coming from the filter through which they're hearing the information and that is something that we can't really control and that we have to understand more about as we're crafting the messages that we think are going to be persuasive going forward. They may not be received in the way that we're necessarily intending them. Yeah. In that, just on the second piece first, do you think that the messengers are, are a part of that or do you think it's the, it's the targeting or the, the actual substance? I think it's both. Mm -hmm. um, I think there are certain messengers who people can really identify with, and certainly there are some that they just don't trust at all and they'll turn off to. Um, so we have to find if we're going to make a argument to a broader case of uh, people who might be open to progressive issues, we have to figure out how to find messengers that will resonate across the board for sure. Um, but I think it's also about language. Mm -hmm. and understanding that something that you think, so a word you think might mean one thing, might mean something very different to someone else. And that, or it might show, um, it, it might show a bias in a way that you're not even expecting. I had a very interesting conversation with a bunch of evangelical Christians who are very conservative and very concerned about religious liberty. 
And I was trying to make the case to them that we need to protect religious liberty, but also we need to protect LGBT people. And we were trying to come to a set of common um, language and values around what we agreed upon. And they said, stop saying the words moving forward. Stop saying change and mm -hmm. our country's changing or progressing. I just want to go back to foundational principles. <laughs> it makes me feel upset when you keep saying change, evolution, progress. Mm -hmm. That's not what I want. Mm -hmm. And so I think sometimes we don't have enough people in our lives that are able to say, that means something really different to me than what you seem to think it means. Yeah, and so the first point you made, sort of, I guess, what people would call identity politics, right? That we've been maybe forced into that because we're trying to, or forced into, or we fell into that because we as Democrats, because we're communicating about things in the way that we want and we're communicating about the things that we think our audience wants. But you mentioned like the juror number three, the person who's left out. Is that is that the sort of rural or Midwestern person, the kind of blue collar Rust Belt? Is that is that the idea? Are those the people who've been left out? Or do you think that there's other groups or, or broader groups that have been kind of left out? I think who is left out depends on who's making the list. Mm -hmm. And anytime you start making a list, there are lots of people who feel left yeah. out. <laughs> so uh, I remember the Clinton rollout video, and I loved it because it had a whole bunch of gays in there, and that mm -hmm. was very clearly for me, and I felt like they're talking <laughs> to me because they've got the that angle. And so I was like, yep, you checked my box. But there are a whole bunch of other people I talked to that were like, my box was not checked by that mm. video. And it was clearly intended to check boxes. Yeah. <laughs> so I think anytime you start mm -hmm. so obviously segmenting, you don't even know who you're leaving out. Yeah. Um, but I also think it, when you're communicating messages and about substance, it is an insult to jurors number one, two, and four as well, because it's assuming that you know what they care about mm -hmm. by one single uh, thing about them. Yeah. Uh, it's assuming that because you are under 25, what you care about is free college. Yeah. It's yeah. assuming because you're Latino, the most important thing to you is immigration reform. Those things might be important, but maybe they're not because people are not you know, robotic uh, kind of responders to their demographic characteristics. Yeah. And, and they're complex. So I think uh, it, it behooves everyone across the progressive community to realize that you can be a conservative evangelical Latino, mm -hmm. or you can be a independent libertarian-leaning millennial, mm -hmm. or you can be a single woman who is very concerned about the implications of abortion. Mm -hmm. There are lots of places where we make assumptions like that that lead us to make people feel like we just don't get them at all yeah is do you think some of that do you think some of that is filling a vacuum because it's like it's clearly people know what being a republican means right or what being a conservative means but there's not like a real common understanding of like what does it mean to be a progressive or or a democrat um is that part of it in in your opinion Yes, I think that um, it's always easier to bumper sticker conservatism than it is to bumper sticker progressivism, <laughs> and that will continue to be a challenge for us. Um, there, there's more complexity and nuance, and uh, that makes it harder to turn into a slogan. Um, but I think there's a real 
lack of articulation of the values that undergird the progressive movement um, in a way that is common to all the different pieces of it. And part of that might have been the assumption that we could add different chunks together. They didn't really need to agree on a common set of values because they all hated the other guy and mm -hmm. we'd find a way to electorally get where we needed to go yeah. without actually having that conversation. And I think now we need to. Mm -hmm. Well, so let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the work here. I mean, the it's interesting because in conversations about politics and um, communications even, they're the conventional wisdom, I guess, and which I think is has been borne out by a lot of things like there that is that people are moving toward their own sources of information and their own bubbles and their own worlds in, in different ways. Um, so is what is the sort of third way that we have in front of us and how, do, how are you all thinking about that in the context of this new kind of more polarized I think conversation about almost all issues? Yeah, I think sorting is a real thing and the fact that people have both geographically and ideologically sorted themselves more neatly than mm -hmm. they have in the past means that you do end up hearing more from people that agree with you on almost everything. Um, so it is rare, for example, that I have a very close friend who really disagrees with me on a fundamental issue that I care about. I basically assume that all of my friends that are coming over to my house for dinner agree with me on most things. I don't think that is the case everywhere in the country, and I don't think that's been the case for all time, but mm -hmm. it's much more the case now than it ever was before. But I think this election was a real wake-up call for people, and a lot of folks I know across the ideological spectrum seem to realize that that's a huge problem, mm -hmm. and that if they assume that the country is basically 50% Steve Bannon's and 50% Bernie Sanders's, mm -hmm. we're not gonna get anywhere. And so they need to figure out a way to understand the folks that might not be in one of those two categories yeah. um, and see things a little bit more from their perspective. Um, so I am heartened by that, by the appetite for that, mm -hmm. which I think I've seen in lots of places across the country. Um, and also by just the pure fact that those people exist. You know, there are 12 districts where a Democrat won in Congress and Trump won on the same day. Mm -hmm. And 23 where people voted for a GOP member of the House and Clinton on the same day. Those are not different voters. Mm -hmm. That's not a turnout issue. Those are people who didn't truly feel that one side represented them or the other and figured out a way to split their ticket in that particular moment. It's not the only definition of people who struggle with feeling like the parties represent them, but that's one very tangible way we know they exist yeah. <laughs> and that we need to figure out how to appeal to them because mm -hmm. if someone had voted for President Obama twice and then voted for Sherry Bustos or Colin Peterson, my hometown congressman, I don't think they're Steve Bannon. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and we can't treat them that way if we're ever going to build a governing coalition yeah. moving forward. And what are you what are you all working on that communicators would be interested in and excited about? And what what are you what are the conversations that you've had here um, in terms of exciting things that you're focused on? Yeah. So one of the things is trying to just get out and listen more mm -hmm. because we don't think the answers to these very hard questions are going to be decided around this lovely conference room table <laughs> in Washington D.C. Right. 
we were very shocked by the election as everyone was and think that everyone in this town should take a big spoonful of humility before deciding where we go moving forward, including us. Um, So we've been trying to go out and talk to a lot of people we haven't talked to before, go to some of those districts where people split their ticket, um, learn from some of those policymakers that are elected from those places and say, what's going on Mm. in this place at this time? What is it like to live here? Because to the point about geographic sorting, um, 85% of the current Democratic House caucus is from safe blue districts. Hmm. So Mm -hmm. what they go home to is very, very different (laughs) than what the folks in the Trump 12 districts go home to or what the folks in the districts that we'd need to win in order to get the majority back for Democrats would would go home to. Um, So we're trying to go out there and figure that out and then bring that back to Washington and release a constant flow of just listening documents to try to help people understand what life is like in those places. What we're starting to hear is that people are not thinking about Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. They're not thinking about James Comey. Mm-hmm. They're not thinking about <laughs> Russia. They're thinking about their own lives and their kids' lives and their communities. And this is a very separate conversation from the one we're having in Washington. And I think that is good to remember as we get riled up about every tweet every day, as I know I am want to do, mm-hmm. <laughs> that those folks are not paying attention in that way. When we did the social media analysis, our national security team said to me, what is the difference between the discussion around Flynn and then Sessions? Nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because people were not paying attention to either of those mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the day-by-day drumbeat that we hear in this very elite space is just not what's going on elsewhere. And I think it's important to keep our finger on that temperature. Yeah. Um, The other thing that I'm really excited about that we've started to do is um, really focus on identifying a new generation of leaders and working with other organizations that are doing that. It is totally fine to, um, you know, have folks that have been here for a really long time and have served their country for a long time in, in the Senate and the House. And that I think that's great. And it's the strength of our party. And boy, we need some new blood Mm -hmm. and some people that are thinking about this in a new way. And a lot of the folks that I've seen who are younger, who are coming to this, who are millennials like me, think about things in a different way Mm -hmm. and aren't so stuck in this polarized 1960s version of politics Mm -hmm. and don't have this Sanders and Trump nostalgia for an older time. Mm -hmm. They're looking to the future and trying to say, what can we do to fix this? And they're happy to do that with young people on both sides of the aisle. And so that, to me, seems like a really positive development and mm-hmm. one that, if the progressive community really leans into it, could be you know, the next generation that kind of cracks this polarization wide open so that we can figure out how to move forward as a country. So those two things you mentioned, listening and, and, and kind of helping to identify, cultivate new new blood um, are both really awesome areas to focus on. Is the listening, and I like the idea obviously of listening and then getting that information out to people and hopefully people will be able to 
to take that and, and actually use it and keep that in mind. What do you see as sort of the obstacles to to that to that piece particularly? Like, I'm you're, if you come up with a ton of great information, um, what what are, what are the obstacles there that you've thought about? Yeah, uh, I think there are three big obstacles. One is the loudest voices are always more extreme than the general population. Mm-hmm. That has been true for a long time. It will continue to be true. And to try to figure out how to get someone who doesn't feel like politics is particularly relevant to their lives, doesn't feel like either of the parties really truly represents them, to engage as rapidly in the political system as a Bernie bro is Mm -hmm. a pretty hard task. (laughs) So I think you have to figure out how to leverage the folks that are the quieter voices in the middle as opposed to trying to make them be as loud as the loud extremes but that's a real barrier for a lot of people and it's and it makes it hard to organize from anywhere but the extremes Mm -hmm. um the the second is the kind of social media atmosphere which i think really amps up the negative Mm -hmm. so another thing we found in this a year-long analysis of people's Twitter activity was that the only conversations about the party were from the opposite side. Hmm. So the only people talking about Democrats were Republicans (laughs) who hated them. The only people talking about Republicans were Democrats who hated them. No one else was talking about the parties. So if you're trying to, say, figure out how to have a positive brand of what the Democratic Party stands for, how are you supposed to do that when the only people that talk about Democrats are Republicans? Mm -hmm. I think that's... <laughs> that's a pretty... That's really interesting. That's a pretty big barrier. Yeah. Um, and then I think the, the third is there are some really horrifying things that have happened after the election and before that have been associated with people in this administration and, and in the campaign. And people were hurt by them and continue to be. Mm-hmm. And how do you isolate that and say if... The Trump administration tomorrow does a religious liberty order that says hospitals can turn me away because I'm gay. Mm -hmm. How do I isolate that and make sure that I'm being properly responsive to the threat that that is to me and my family and talk to somebody who may have voted for Donald Trump in a genuine and sincere way and really listen to them? I find that personally very difficult. Mm -hmm. And I have to toggle back and forth between... You know, this person is not representative of everything that Steve Bannon's ever said, and Steve Bannon is an anti-Semite, and he continues to be in the White House. Mm -hmm. You know, those are both true and (laughs) hard to keep in mind at the same time. Yeah. Um, So I think the thing that I try to think about is um, the work that I did around marriage for gay couples, which showed me that there there was a certain group of people that were unconvincible, that were truly homophobic mm-hmm. were doing horrible things to people and were causing pain and hurt and then there were a whole bunch of people who felt very mixed and confused and like change was happening fast and they felt overwhelmed and I had to isolate those people in my mind from each other mm-hmm. and say Tony Perkins is not the same as every person who voted for Proposition 8 yep. so how can we keep those separate in our mind and for me that always makes me feel quite hopeful because 
what I learned on the marriage issue is it is possible to persuade people. Mm-hmm. We truly moved the dial on that issue in a way that nobody would have thought that we could and with a speed that nobody would have thought that we could. And after having been involved in that on a day-to-day basis, I can't be convinced that most Americans can't be persuaded. I yeah. think they can. There's a lot of people, progressives particularly, who are saying, you know, we don't need to listen to, to these people who hate us. We need to like be <laughs> more extreme. We need to learn the lessons of not going the pragmatic route and, you know, supporting a candidate who is pragmatic and practical and just, you know, we need to be more extreme. It, like what, or not extreme, but we need to just stick to our like progressive values and not try to compromise them because the other side doesn't compromise mm-hmm. theirs. What, just based on your experience or your work, what would you say to people like that who, who want to just go that route and not, not try to, you know, learn from the other side? Yeah. I think people who try to act like politics politics is symmetrical are really missing the point in a bunch of ways. Um, The Republican base and the Republican ideological constituency has always been more consistent than Democrats has. Because in every state across the country, including the most liberal states, conservatives number twice as many as liberals do, including in places like Massachusetts and Rhode Island, Mm -hmm. in the bluest possible states you could have, you've doubled the amount of people that say, I'm a conservative, as do I'm a liberal. Mm -hmm. So Democrats and progressives have always had to make a bigger tent and have moderates and and folks that were more in the middle as part of that tent. Um, And, you know, in every presidential election that Um, a Democrat has won, most of their coalition has been made up of moderates and conservatives, not of liberals. Mm -hmm. The flip side is not true for Republicans. Theirs is about 70% conservatives. Mm -hmm. They just don't have as hard of a job. (laughs) And the other thing that makes it really asymmetrical is the fact that progressives actually want government to do something. They're pro-institution. They believe that government can and should help people. And most of their policy solutions for the problems of our time require government to actually do something. So if all you're doing is saying, no, 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 resist, 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 and you're Mitch McConnell, that might work for you. Because if government is seen as irreparably broken, you should shrink it Mm -hmm. and make it get out of your way. If your argument is that government can do better things for you, and everything that you're doing is tearing government down and making it more broken than it is right now, that's a much harder sell. Mm -hmm. And I have a hard time understanding how someone would vote for what is seen as the party of government if they think that government is irreparably broken. I have seen a lot of research that shows that the anger that people have towards the system, the system Mm -hmm. is rigged, that a lot of folks take as the system is rigged, oh, that means Wall Street, or that means the 1%. Um, People actually say, no, that's government. Mm -hmm. It's politics is rigged. The system of politics is rigged. Mm -hmm. The politicians are the riggers of that system. And we've asked that question, several other people asked that question last year in a few polls, and uniformly people say, it's politicians' fault. They're the riggers. Mm -hmm. They stacked the deck. So the challenge i think is to figure out yes there's an anger out there but how do you use it for progressive 
goals if yeah. it's at government, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not at Wall Street. Right. I think that's a very, very hard question to answer. And if you continue to stoke the anger and light that fire of anger, does it actually burn down your own house? Yeah. Perhaps. Well, let's let's end on a positive note because I think <laughs> we're going to talk about opportunities and things that you see as bright spots or things that you're excited about in terms of communications and um, where you're going as an organization, but also just for the movement. Um, what do you see in terms of opportunities or, or things that you're excited about? Yeah. I think a lot of folks have been focused until November mm-hmm. on the progressive side, just at the top of the ticket. No one seemed to have any idea what a state legislator even was until about, you know, November 15th, <laughs> when we all picked ourselves out of bed finally and started going back to work. Yeah. And it seems like there is now a genuine commitment to looking at every lever of government up and down. And Democrats have been hollowed out in all of those places. And a lot of the things that I care about that you mentioned, guns, LGBT equality, women's, women's equality, all of these things, Many of them are decided mostly at the state level. So the fact that Democrats used to have two-thirds of the control of state legislatures when Obama came in and now we have a third deeply affects my personal life on all of those things um, on a day-to-day basis. And it was really hard to make that argument to people because we were so focused on the White House, so focused on governing. And we're like, yeah, the states, but Obama will basically fix it. And now I think there's been a real rebirth of focus on um, House races, on you know county level races, on state legislative races, on governor's races. I've seen a lot of people talking about attorneys general mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the last mm-hmm. few months because they realize now how important it is that you have yeah. an attorney general that can sue to enforce something when the president's crazy. Yeah. So it's um, it it seems to be a much easier case now that we need to look all the way up and down the ballot and be building and recruiting for all of those things. And that to me has always been another asymmetry on the right and left, that the right was very focused on those things, very organized at it, and a lot of folks on the left weren't paying attention. So hopefully we can um, balance that out in a more robust way over the next couple of years. Yeah, and sort of ironic because Democrats or progressives were always seen as people who were policy policy wonks and really cared about the policy part, but maybe weren't paying enough attention to the infrastructure and the that's right. you know the the building up and down the ballot as as you said. Um, well, it's really exciting that you guys are doing the listening sort of listening project. Hopefully, we can understand more about where people actually are and figure out how to help you know communicate to them about what they're going through in their lives as opposed to what we've probably overdone in the past which is like how do we convince people that our side is right you know and that i assume that's part of the objective so i'm looking forward to hearing what what you all find yeah um is there anything else that you would leave people with the communicators who are wondering how to communicate in this current environment that we haven't already touched on i was just talking to somebody who is an excellent storyteller who is also a former kind of commercial brand person who's moved into the political space and she used a great example to me about how companies think about this Mm -hmm. she said nike does not say look at this really great shoe i have i have an awesome shoe it's better than all the other shoes they say you're an athlete we see it in you we know that you're an athlete 
we want to help you be that athlete. Mm -hmm. And I think if progressives can think more about how to help people be an athlete mm -hmm. and speak to them in that way, as opposed to telling them about how great our shoe is, we're going to do a lot better. Great. Well, thank you for taking so much time to yeah. chat with us today. It was, was fun. fun. Happy to come back anytime. Thanks again for tuning in to Achieve Great Things. If you like what you hear, subscribe on iTunes and give us a review there. Um, shoot us an email at podcast at hadaway.com if you have thoughts, suggestions, comments. Thank you very much for listening. See you next week. There is a new wave of change all around us. And if we set our compass true, we will reach our destination. Not merely victory for our party, but renewal for our nation.